Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, April 6th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi joins the nation in recognizing the needs of crime victims and survivors. We'll hear about the programs that support families in need. Then, despite efforts to revamp Mississippi's public education funding formula, legislators are sticking with the current program. But where does that leave the state in the rankings? And later, find out if poor health in the state is due to poor choices or to factors beyond our control. Plus, it's Financial Literacy Month. Learn more about investing and money management, even if your budget is tight. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi joins the nation in recognizing crime victims. As part of Crime Victims' Rights Week, Attorney General Jim Hood's office is honoring survivors, the families of victims, and the organizations and law enforcement agencies that support them. This year's theme for the ceremony is Expand the Circle, Reach All Victims. Award recipients include the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office, District Attorney's Office of the 14th Judicial District in Brookhaven, and the Mississippi Highway Patrol's Bureau of Investigation for their coordinated efforts in response to the May 27, 2017 mass homicide that occurred in Lincoln County. General Hood says they're appreciated. They're doing God's work, and they're helping people who need it the most, a victim of crime who's lost a family member, those kind of things, and that's the human touch. You can't buy that with a, with a, with a salary. You know, that's, that's something that you uh, always have, and you appreciate the opportunity to be able to help somebody that needs it. Others honored during the ceremony included the Mississippi Police Benevolent Association. The organization provides financial assistance to the families of officers who are injured or killed in the line of duty. Andy Matuszewski is president of the Mississippi Division. He says the group began to support the family of Lincoln County Sheriff's Deputy William Durr, a fallen officer from the homicide. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood about the connection between officers and community. We may wear different badges, uh, some shields, some stars, some in the, in the shape of our great state. We may wear different uniforms. We may be different colors and creeds and religions. But we all have the same heart, the same blood, and the same mission, and that's to look out for each other, to look out for the people of this great state, because at the end of the day, we live here. This is our home, too. And uh, too often times we hear that there's dissension between the people and the government. And that doesn't come from the rank and file. That doesn't come from the people who put on the badge every day and get out on the street and try to solve the problems of the world. That's what we're tasked to do, and, and most of us look at it as a calling. Certainly it's not a, an attempt to try to further yourselves financially. We don't do all that well in this state. And I was asking Sheriff Rushing just earlier if he had any of his employees to date that don't have to do something else outside of their official duties to be able to get by, and he said not a one. And it's the same at my home. 
so my involvement with this whole event was because William Durr was a member of my association and because he was a brother officer that lost his life, and he had a family that needed care. So it didn't matter that they weren't from my area. didn't matter that they weren't people that I didn't know. Uh, what mattered was that there was a loss of life, and it was something we needed to look after. So that's what we do. That compensation is usually used for what type of things um, for those families? Well, see, the thing that a lot of people don't think about is, you know, you think about the fact that, that a salary was lost. You think about they're not making their paycheck every two weeks. What you don't think about is what did that person do outside of their work that provide funding for their families? You know, did they work side security jobs? Did they, uh, did they pastor a local church, which... Uh, William was uh, a pastor. Did they do other things that helped their family along? And the moment that there's some kind of a critical incident like this, all that stops. So, you know, the house note, the car note, buy, just buying groceries for a lot of officers is a paycheck-to-paycheck endeavor. So when that stops, there's so much more that happens. Then if families don't have some way to be able to handle those things, it's very difficult. And, and we've, we've done this numerous times across the state, unfortunately. So that's what this kind of... Uh, a situation brings to bear is that the families have got needs and we've got to be able to compensate them. And I've focused on ours as law enforcement officers that, that are injured or lost their life in the line of duty, but that applies for everybody in this state, regardless of whether, you know, what their position is other than that of a victim. Same situation. Mississippi Police Benevolent Association President Andy Matuszewski. Information on statewide assistance for crime victims is available at agjimhood.com. Coming up, despite efforts to revamp Mississippi's public education funding formula, legislators are sticking with the current program. But where does that leave the state in the rankings? We'll find out. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi legislators say they're going back to the drawing board to develop a new education funding formula for public education. State lawmakers ended the 2018 session without passing a new formula. For 2019, schools will see a slight uptick in funding through the current Mississippi Adequate Education Program. K-12 and pre-kindergarten increased by about $12.8 million. House Republican Rob Robertson of Starkville is vice chair of the Education Committee. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier it could be two years before lawmakers tackle the issue. When it's all said and done, you're looking at level funding plus is what this amounts to. What kind of response are you getting? I think most people are, uh, as far as the, the teachers, they're excited that we're not changing the formula, uh, I, I guess, this year. Uh, the perception is, and the, the confusion has kind of come down to, there's a difference between how much funding is and how we go about appropriating. And I think that is... Uh, is the education chairman and and and, and the vice chairman? We've, we're going to have to go out here and talk to teachers and, and explain to them that the intent is to come up with a better way to get the number. Now that being said, we won't buy in from from them. So I think that most of these these uh, teachers, superintendents, I think they're excited that we're going to kind of start from scratch and go out here and talk to them and and try to. Uh, revisit this again. I don't think we did a very good job of explaining or expressing to them what we were trying to achieve with this. 
the way the, the funding formula was being changed. But, you know, that, that being said, we can go back in and, and talk to people. We've got we've to gotta rebuild some trust with our teachers, and, and sometimes that takes a little bit of time, and that's, that's perfectly okay to, to do sometimes. Do you see uh, bringing up a new formula next legislative session? You know, I think it really depends on how long it takes to get our teachers to buy in. Um, I, I don't want to, you know, put a timeline on it because I think that was the mistake that we made last time. Uh, I think that you, you have to have buy-in from, uh, from all of the, the parties that are involved with it. And sometimes putting a, uh, an imitation deadline, it's a mistake. And I think that's what happened is we put an imitation deadline. We really wanted to get X done, and X didn't get done quite as fast as we wanted to with having all the people buy into it and all the teachers and superintendents, what have you. So I think that having some time will help us. If I could express or, or tell our teachers or superintendents or parents anything is that this leadership, as far as the House and the Senate, they genuinely do care about education. There's not, there's not this intent to shove a policy down anybody's throat. We're listening. We are trying to, to understand and do the right thing for them. We know that they have a tough job, and they are appreciated, and we are listening. Representative Rob Robertson of Starkville. Mississippi education advocates are glad schools didn't lose funding, but say the state is lagging behind other states in spending. Nancy Loom is executive director of education advocacy organization, The Parents Campaign. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier, despite increases, the MAEP program is still underfunded. The Mississippi Adequate Education Program is is designed, is formulated to predict what expenditures would cover the cost of what we are asking school districts to do. And so far, we're well below that. So there is an increase, but we're still not where we need to be. So we're making progress, but we have a long way to go. Where would you like to see funding at? What would be the number? We have a formula that tells us what is adequate in order for school districts to meet the requirements that we have for them in law and in policy. And so if we're asking school districts to do specific things, we need to provide them the funding that, that enables them to do that. And that's what the MAEP is, is designed to do. So we would hope to get toward full funding of the MAEP, and we've got a long way to go to get there. Um, interestingly, even if we fully fund the MAEP, we will still be funding our school districts about $1,000 per student less than what our neighboring states provide. We're talking about Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Louisiana. So we're not, we're not asking for something that is unreasonable. We're asking for the full funding of the MAEP, which would be less than what our neighboring states provide per student for their children. What would that figure be? It would take an additional $240 million above what the appropriation is. The appropriation for the MAEP this year is about $2.2 billion, and so it would bring it to $2.4, $2.5 billion.
The contentious issue during the session was attempts to change the formula. This issue is not going away, though. Will you be talking to legislators about the type of changes that you would like to see in a funding formula? We're not opposed to changing the formula. We are opposed to reducing what the law requires for school districts. We know what adequate is. And again, we know that even if we fully funded the current formula, it would still put our children at a very significant disadvantage compared to what their peers in our neighboring states receive for their education. And so what we want is a formula that actually provides school districts the resources that they need to be able to do the things we're asking them to do. And we're very specific about what it is that we ask school districts to do. We have an accountability system that grades them in certain areas. And some of the things that have been added in the accountability model, school districts have never been compensated for. So we're adding all of these things that are wonderful additions and they're things that every school district wants to be able to offer. But instead of increasing their funding to allow them to allow school districts to provide these additional services, we've been cutting their funding over the years. So what we want is a formula that provides school districts what they need to do the things we're asking them to do. Some lawmakers are saying this issue may not come up next year because it is election year. Your thoughts on that? Well, we know that legislators in an election year tend to push legislation that they think is popular among voters and that will win them kudos from voters. So clearly, if they think this is not something they would bring up in an election year, they must realize that it is not popular with voters. So I would agree that the formula that they were pushing is not popular with voters if they were to come up with a formula that was beneficial for students and for public schools, I think they would see overwhelming support for that among voters. Nancy Loom with the Parents Campaign, thank you so much for your time and speaking with us. Thank you, Desiree. Now moving on to another topic, experts say a sickly state affects all Mississippians. Each time a new health study is released, the state ranks at or near the bottom. Is it due to poor health choices or is it a result of factors beyond our control? MPB-TV's Southern Remedy Special seeks to answer those questions. We sat down with two experts to discuss Mississippi's health and its national ranking. Dr. Bettina Beach is dean of the Bowers School of Population Health at UMMC. Teresa Hanna is director of the Center for Mississippi Health Policy. Dr. Beach tells us the state is showing improvement. While we do have many challenges, there are many positives that we can celebrate where our indicators have improved over time. For example, we continue to have very high vaccination rates, which really improves the health status of children. Uh, We've improved physical activity levels for children in schools. So we have many things that we can look at that are very positive. However, our chronic disease rates continue to be very high across the state and relative to other states, they're extremely high. Teresa, give us a picture of what counties are sicker or or face more challenges in terms of health. When you look at the maps that they put in those reports about the county health rankings and you see where they, you know, have darker counties where it have worse health outcomes and the lighter counties have better, they 
follow very closely with income, with education. And when you look at health care, it's very closely associated with income and education. And we see those variations from county to county, just like we see with Mississippi compared to other states. Dr. Beach, it also seems that in the poorer counties that there should be more access to care because of that, but there really is less access to care. Would that be true? There is less access to care, both because there are fewer facilities in those counties for people to access. There might be transportation challenges for folks to get to counties where there are more health care facilities, um, as well as insurance that may not open doors to clinics and health care organizations. Also, medical professionals who might not want to live in a poverty-stricken area. That is a challenge. We are medically underserved in most of our 82 counties in the state. Teresa, what policies have helped keep Mississippians healthy or are helping to increase the likelihood that someone might be healthier? Well, Dr. Beach mentioned that we have high vaccination rates, which gives us very low rates of vaccine-preventable diseases in our state. That's due to the state policy requiring children be vaccinated before they go to school. We also have the Healthy Students Act, which the legislature passed several years ago, and we've seen market improvements in improved nutrition and physical activity among public school students and a reduction in obesity in elementary school students. That's great. That's wonderful news. How do you address now hypertension? obesity, and uh, and other chronic diseases. Well, that Healthy Students Act does address that. If we can keep these students from becoming obese catch and getting – yes, right, catch them early, it's much more difficult to deal with it when they're, they're older. Plus, also, if we can reduce smoking rates, that would help a lot. And we know from some research Mississippi State's done that where we have smoking ordinances, smoke-free ordinances uh, in many cities and counties where people can't smoke in public, we've seen a reduction of like 20 percent in heart attack admissions in the local hospitals. Dr. Bettina Beach is the Dean of the Bower School of Population Health for UMMC, and Teresa Hanna is the Director of the Center for Mississippi Health Policy. Thank you both for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Hear more from the experts and Dr. Rick DeShazo on Southern Remedy, a sickly state, tonight at 7.30 on MPB TV. Coming up, it's Financial Literacy Month. Learn more about investing and money management, even if your budget is tight. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation's Get to College program. Based in South Haven, Jackson, and Ocean Springs, Get to College advisors help students and families plan and pay for college. Learn more at woodwardhines.org. This is Mississippi Edition. Mississippians can grow their money by learning to invest. Joe Farrell is president of the Louisiana-Mississippi chapter of Better Investing. He says people of all income levels and ages can learn and get involved. Each year, April is designated as Financial Literacy Month. Financial education is considered a critical life skill by some. Farrell tells us more about getting started making investments. Folks that decide that they want to invest in the, call it the stock market, I think of investing in individual companies rather than in the stock market, just need to sit down and do a little bit of study so that they understand what companies do, how they make their money, are they growing, are they increasing their earnings, are they treating their employees right, 
Does management know what they're doing? All of those are simple things to find out. And that's all it takes to be able to be a pretty decent investor. People may be reluctant to even think about investing because they don't have enough money. How much money do you need to invest? Uh, I'm in three investment clubs. That means I've joined with other people, and we all make small investments. In two of my clubs, we put up $30 a month. In the third club, we put up $50 a month. The $50 a month club is now worth a little over half a million dollars. That club is 25 years old, just celebrated its 25th anniversary, and it grows. But you have to decide as a group when it's time to sell? You have to decide as a group when to buy and when to sell. Does that get a little contentious at times? Over the years, we've only had one contentious time, and that was last month. We had eight people that voted to buy something and six voted not to buy it. Majority rules, that's the first time we've ever had more than one person ever say no. Does a person need to see a financial advisor or specialist when they're ready to invest? Depends on how much you're talking about. If you're a millionaire, yes, you really need to. If you're not... If you're a, a workaday person like I was or am, I'm a retiree, you can do it yourself. Let's talk about the different kinds of investments. You have stocks and bonds and annuities and mutual funds and CDs. Where do you start? Uh, risk is, is everything. If you want to be safe, that's a terrible word because you can't really be safe. The organization I work with, uh, we, we we concentrate on common stocks because we think over the long haul, that's the place to make your money. Uh, you need to pick what you understand and stay with it. If you feel like the mutual fund is the best path for you, find something that you're comfortable with that invests in things that you understand or buy something that's very broad. So what do you look for when you're investing? I look for a company that's old enough, if you will, to have some history, some experience that management has demonstrated that they have an idea about how to run a company. I want a kind of a smooth upward gliding slope that tells me that they, they have control over the company, both from a sales standpoint and from an earnings standpoint, and can make that company grow over the long haul. Income. Should you consider your investments income that you would be able to use should some kind of emergency come up in your household? It, most people, I believe, once they start an investment program, they should stick to it unless there's really a true financial emergency, a health issue with your children or yourself, or <laughs> we're in Mississippi. If it's a tornado, maybe maybe there's a problem that, that needs to But I think most people should hang on and stick with their investment program for a very long time period. How long a time period should you wait to determine whether what you've invested in will actually have returns for you? We typically hold on to a company for at least a year to see that the analysis we did in 2017 was essentially right, and it's continuing on the path that we look for. If it's misbehaving, and we look at earnings and sales every quarter when they publish, if it's misbehaving, we usually give it two quarters, then it's gone. Tell us about your event coming up. One of the three investment clubs that I'm a member of is called a model club. We founded the model club to 
demonstrate best practices, the way an, an investment club should work, how to hold a proper meeting, do proper analysis, get everybody to participate in all of that sort of thing. We will be having a meeting on April the 23rd online so that folks that want to observe it can do so. We will also have a presence at the library in Pass Christiane with folks that want to sit down with us and observe the meeting live. Uh, they can send an email to contact at lamis, that's L-A-M-S, dot betterinvesting, all one word, dot net. Joe Farrell is president of the Louisiana, Mississippi chapter of Better Investing. Joe, thanks so much. Anytime. That completes our show today. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener at 10. It's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again Monday morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB.